Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2008. This is guest speaker, Nancy. Hello everyone, my name is Nancy Morris and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi everybody. And, oh gosh, um, I was just sitting there trying to be very attentive. David, that was really very enjoyable. I was trying very hard to pay attention and not be thinking about myself and my talk. And um, and I'm praying and asking God to take over. And then my, 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 I was sitting there and I thought, my mind is blank. I don't know if I have anything to say. And then I thought, well, maybe it worked. Maybe God took over. So listen to David. And um, it, was, uh, it was magnificent. It brought back a lot of memories to me about when I surrendered. I took step one before I came here. I didn't know I was taking step one. But before I get into that, I just want to thank all of you, the committee, and Chris so much for inviting me to come here. This has, I have been so excited about coming here. And I try not to get excited about things too much anymore because I, I get excited and then I might, you know, a big high and a big low and a big high and a big low. So I've been trying to just, you know, not be excited, but I, I am thrilled and I am honored and I was just beside myself about thinking about coming here. I spent, it seems like, several years early on in Alcoholics Anonymous um, feeling sorry for myself and thinking, I'll never go anywhere, I'll never be anybody, I'll never do anything, life is just going to be so dreary without alcohol. And, you know, speaking for me didn't come naturally. I, you know, I used to hide at meetings when it came time. Some of our meetings, people would just get called on, you know, randomly. And I would hide and get into my purse and sit behind a post and be all nervous. And then, but then we're so funny because then the meeting would, you know, be, that part of the meeting would be over. And then I would think nobody ever calls on me. And, um... (laughs) But a lot of the meetings that I went to, I got sober in California, were speaker meetings, and I love to hear other speakers, and I did just absolutely love that identification. That's all I wanted to go to in the beginning were speaker meetings because I had lived such a lonely life and kept so many secrets that I needed to hear speakers, and I needed that identification. That was so important to me. But... um, Anyway, I, I had a well, just really wonderful trip here. Everything just went very just smooth. And um, when I was coming through customs, I had to fill out some card, a visitor visa or something, and, it, and you're supposed to write down an address where you're going to be staying. And I didn't know where I was going to be staying. And I didn't write anything there, so they wanted to talk to me. And I said, I don't know where I'm staying. And... And, um, well, why are you here? I said, well, um, it's, I'm participating in a conference. Well, then you filled out the wrong visa. That's working. I said, I'm not working. It's fun. I'm going for fun. But, but it's a conference. I said, and, you know, I'm not shy anymore. I said, well, it's, al- it's an Alcoholics Anonymous conference, and it's fun to me. And, and, um, and then they said, well, you don't know where you're staying? I said, no, I don't know where I'm staying. And, well, who's picking you up? I said, Diane. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so that person said, why, well, you, you need to speak to an immigration officer. I'm like, oh, no. 
but then I was hoping that, you know, I'd speak to the immigration officer and that person would go, I get it. <laughs> but anyway, everything was fine. And, you know, there was Diane. We'd never met before. We just emailed and there was a, you know, she had the sign and I came out and gave her a big hug and felt like I had, you know, I had a new friend. We have this real connection here, this heart-to-heart -heart thing. And um, one time I went to speak somewhere and we hadn't made arrangements about how we would recognize each other. And, um, you know, it, it always works out. I really don't worry about those things. But I, I um, came out to where I was supposed to meet these people and I, these people came with signs but they didn't have my name on the sign. They had their own names on the sign, but they hadn't told me what their names were ahead of time. But I don't know. I just looked at them, and I knew they were the ones. And, um, and then um, Chris and I hadn't met, but we've emailed, and um, Chris came over today um, with her grandson, Blake, and um, we spent the entire day together. We've never met each other before, and we just, it was nonstop talking. And isn't that wonderful um, for such lonely people like we are? It's just wonderful to be able to do that. I felt completely comfortable with with Diane and with Chris, you know, spending time with people I've never met before. And I, I didn't want to do that when I came here. I needed alcohol in my life. I needed alcohol to function. And um, I, I, I didn't know that when I came here. I'd been drinking most of my life. By the way, I'm, I'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, my sobriety date is May 23rd, 1971. So just a few days ago or so, I had my 37th AA birthday. And um, thank you. <laughs> um, I have a home group and I have a sponsor. I attend my home group meeting on a regular basis. I don't miss my meeting for um, any reason other than if I'm dead. And um, speaking of that, I hope you can understand me. I have a kind of a hard time understanding. That when Chris and I were t talking today, she was saying, she would go somewhere. She said, we went to this place for a wake. And then we went there for a wake. And I was thinking, a lot of people are dying. She keeps going to these funerals all the time. But it's a week. And, um, but anyway, I hope you can understand me. And um, I have a home group that I attend on a regular basis. I attend um, other meetings during the week on a regular basis. Um, I, I got sober in a pretty tough, strict AA group, no nonsense, basics, keep it simple, go to meetings, um, work with other people, and um, you know, have a sponsor, and be of service, and have commitments at meetings. I mean, one time my commitment was bringing the toilet paper, and you know what? I just wouldn't miss my commitment for anything. I wouldn't dream of calling somebody and asking them to bring the toilet paper for me. I mean, I honored my commitments. Um, I had the desperation that David, what you know, pointed out when he was doing step one. I think I'm very lucky that I had that desperation when I came here. Um, I, I didn't know I had it, but I was very desperate. I tried not to drink on a daily basis. And on a daily basis, I remember getting up every day, and for a, a little while, I wouldn't have that first drink. And then I would find a reason 
I'd make one up. Why, I'm just going to have that one drink today. Just one drink, that's all I'm going to have. And then I'd have another and another and another for whatever reasons. And then the next day I would get up and do the same thing. I tried very hard not to drink before I came here. Um, but I've been here all this time just doing the basic things that I was taught to do in that group that I got sober in California. And my life has taken on um, a purpose and a meaning, and um, I don't ever have to be lonely. If I'm lonely, it's because I'm choosing to be lonely. We have meetings morning, noon, and night. I have any number of people that will spend time with me. Um, I have a lot of people in my life that I love. God has given me uh, some just absolutely fantastic gifts of sponsoring other people, working with other people. So. I, I benefit from that, I believe, more than they do. Um, there isn't any greater gift I've ever been given than working with a new person and watching them light up and watching them come to life and get that little bit of hope that we get here and, um, and start on this path. And we make a, a big celebration out of sobriety birthdays. And so, uh, you know, at, at my home group meeting, we do a birthday cake. and. Somebody, you know, the sponsor holds the cake and we have the candles on it and the person blows out the candles and, and you know, gives a little talk. And I just sit there week after week um, because I've been so blessed to, you know, have been at that meeting be watching all these people come in and I just, you know, my heart fills up. And I get little tears in my eyes when I watch these people that I saw come in so broken down, so sad, so lonely and so hopeless, standing up there looking so proud and blowing out that candle and their families come and it's just a really big deal. I feel that I've been given a gift. It's kind of funny, I think, to think that we've been given a gift when we suffered so much to get this gift. But I believe that I have such an enriched, fulfilled life today that it was worth the price now. And um, I treasure the gift that I've been given. I was thinking, especially when David was doing the presentation of um, you know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not know that I was going to come here that day. I had no idea. And especially on, on my sobriety birthday, just, you know, a week or so ago, I was really thinking about it and how it was really just a matter of seconds and inches and um, how, you know, I, I came to, to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that night. Um, I was making plans to leave my family. I had three little boys at home and I had a husband and my plan was to leave them that day. I was making a phone call. I had gotten drunk one more time and done stupid things and done things that I didn't want to do. And um, I, my little boys were very small. I was not taking good care of them. I had to lock them in their bedroom in order uh, for me to drink. They wanted to go outside. I didn't want them to go outside. Um, I had alcohol on my breath and I didn't want people to smell it. So I was making plans that day to leave my family. I'd gotten drunk. My husband got mad at me. I had um, gone off with some people unexpectedly. You know, when you're drinking, you just kind of run off for a while. And and I um, called my husband later that night to come get me, and he um, he very seldom said anything to me about my drinking. He told me later he was just baffled. Um, he didn't know what to do about it. He had no idea. It wasn't talked about so much as it is now, and he didn't know what to do. 
So he came and, he, and got me and he said to me, um, you wouldn't do the things that you did. You wouldn't act the way that you did if you didn't drink so much. And I felt completely hopeless and I couldn't not drink. So I picked up the phone that night. We only had one car. I didn't want to take the car. I felt sorry for my husband and I felt sorry for my three little boys. And I wanted somebody to come pick me up where I lived, drive me down the the highway to another place. I was going to have them drop me off and I was just going to live there. That's what I thought I was going to do. I made. I was on the phone with this guy who happened to be like my high school boyfriend who I hadn't seen in many years. But I don't know about you. People stay alive in my mind. I think about people a lot, like, uh, you know, obsessions. And um, so that I could call this person after, you know, not seeing him for 10 years and going, Hi, it's me. And um, <laughs> I did, I called him, and I don't know why, but I, I was just um, starting to talk to him. And my husband came into the room and he said to me, I don't care where you go, but you can't run away from it. And he doesn't know where those words came from, but he said those words to me. I hung up the phone. I dialed a number who, it, it belonged to my brother-in-law at the time who happened to be a Catholic priest. And I was living in California. This man was living in Pennsylvania, which is far away. It was very unusual that he was home that night, that he answered the phone. And for the very first time in my life, I said to another person when he answered the phone, I said, I can't quit drinking. So I made the admission. That was huge. Um, and he had been to some Alcoholics Anonymous meetings so he could see what they were like and he could tell other people. And he said, I, you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I had been drinking that day, as I told you. I was very heavy. I drank a lot of beer and wine. I was orange. My face was just blotchy orange. I had longer hair, and it was orange. And um, you could kind of crunch it, and it would fall out. And... Um, so I, um, we got a neighbor to watch the kids, I guess, and um, I went, normally I wore cut-off Levi's and a big white t-shirt, and uh, that's how, that's all, that's how I wanted to dress, and um, so I went upstairs to put something else on because my husband was going to take me to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. He got on the phone, he found out where one was. I went upstairs, I guess to match my face and my hair, I put on this orange polyester pantsuit. And it was bright orange. Now, I think I'm looking pretty nice because I was dressing nicer than I normally did. And um, so he got me in the car, he started driving me to this meeting, and now I'm thinking about it. I start thinking, which is bad for us to think. But I started thinking, and I and I said to him, you know, where, where are we going, and what are these people going to do? Are these people going to chain me up? Are they going to stay with me 24 hours a day? I cannot quit drinking. And um, we couldn't quite find this meeting, and he stopped one place. It wasn't there. Another place, you know, it wasn't there. It was like... Like I felt all my life, it's like I showed up and everybody left, you know, here she comes, let's go. And um, so we finally found this meeting and it was just about over by the time we got there. Now we didn't know any of this, but we came in a door. 
there were about 30 people in this room. A man was speaking, um, just like I am now. He was just about to finish. We came in and we sat down. There was a middle aisle of, and the chairs on either side, and we sat down. Now, I'm thinking I'm looking pretty good, right? But, boy, I, I can just imagine everybody looked around and went, wow, we have one right back there. <laughs> and um, if that wasn't enough for them... When the meeting ended and they all came to talk to me, I started throwing up. So that was proof there. So all these people I found out later were so happy to have a newcomer. And they hadn't had one in a while. And they all wanted to join in. So people started offering me cake and coffee and num phone numbers and these people I'd been drinking all day and their faces were kind of swirling around. and. And I, then I started throwing up on their feet, and, um, and I ran outside to the parking lot, and they all came outside to the parking lot with me. And they wanted to watch. They liked it. And um, so they all stood around me, really, and they were, like, hugging and laughing and dancing and clapping, and I'm throwing up. So that was my very first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and... Um, just briefly, that was in January of 1971, and I didn't drink for four months or so, and then I had to have one last gallon of spinata wine. I don't know if you know what it is, but it's, it was about $1.65 for a huge bottle. And um, I, I, I don't, you know, I drank it. I drank the whole bottle. And... Um, I ended up face down again in my own vomit, hopefully for the last time. And um, so that was my introduction, you know, into Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, you know, I, I, I had these three little boys and this family. You know, I want to say, too, um, the day before I, left, I was leaving to come here on a Monday, I, I had um, my two grandsons who live in Minnesota where I live, and one is eight years old and one is four years old. So they're both older than their dad, my, my son, was when I got sober, and I spent the entire day with them. And it, it, it just came so close, you know, that I wouldn't have had that. I had a wonderful day with them. I'm trusted with them. I, you know, we have a good time, and they love me. And, and it, you know, I just had a wonderful day, and I really appreciate things like that. Even though it's been a while since I've had a drink, I appreciate days like that because, um, I, you know, I mentioned before I've been given this gift. I was given this gift that night, and it was just, um, you know, what if he, what if my brother-in-law hadn't answered the phone? What if I hadn't, you know, what if we hadn't connected? Or I, what if I hadn't found you at that meeting? You know, that's why um, I think it's important for me to show up on a regular basis at my meetings. You know, I never know who's going to walk in the door. And um, so... That was my beginning into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, um, that's when my life began. And um, by working the steps, um, doing a good fourth and a fifth step, you know, I've learned so much about myself, and that got me on this, on the journey that I, that I got on and that I'm still on today to learn how I can live the best possible life that I can live, a fulfilled life where I can have some self-worth, a sense of purpose, and, um, and all those things that we're longing for all of our life. I didn't know that I didn't have them. 
But I learned so much, you know, and I had a very empty life before I came here, and I didn't know that. Um, I grew up in a family. I have six um, brothers and sisters. I have five brothers and one sister, a mother and a father. My father died of alcoholism when I was about six months sober. I was so fortunate because, um, you know, my mother yelled at my father all the time, and she told him that it was his fault that all his children drank the way that they did. Now, nobody knew any different. We didn't know that much about alcoholism, and so she just blamed him, and I think he, he, you know, he didn't know any different. So I had been going to Alcoholics Anonymous for six months, and um, I was able to, you know, more or less 12-step my own father. He went to some meetings. I got him a big book, and I remember sitting in the backyard with him one day, and he started telling me his secrets. He had never told anybody else. Just like all the secrets that I had when I came here, and my father was able to tell me these things, and then not just shortly after that, he just he he died, and you know I had just been going to my group for six months, and I went to the funeral, and um, and I got up and I turned around, I was walking out of the church, and there were rows and rows of people from my home group at that church. You know, we we learn to do things like that for each other, and um, I I know that um, it's it's important for me in that I have to find ways to not to think about myself, and I think that's a very important thing that we're taught here is to think of other people, and. Um, I don't think it comes natural to us. It didn't come natural to me. All I ever thought about was myself. I was just completely self-obsessed. I didn't know any different. I was always wondering what you were thinking about me. And when two people were whispering, I thought they were whispering about me. And if I was in a grocery store and I heard somebody on another aisle laughing, I thought they were laughing at me. And. Um, you know, when I got sober and I, you know, st I was, you know, given these directions and these tools for living. And, um, and so uh, I became very active because I would do anything not to think about myself. I mean, there are times I have to do some work. And, and figure things out. But for the most part, I don't want to think about myself very much. It doesn't really lead me down a very good path. And um, so um, I grew up in this family, and that's not the reason I'm alcoholic. We're just alcoholics, and we, you know, in my family, this disease seems to be pretty strong. And, um, and I don't know why I was the first one um, to be able to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I know that night that my husband was driving me, after a while I started saying, why me? Oh, and that night also, too, when we couldn't find the place, then I kept saying, well, let's just go tomorrow. Why don't you take me home now? And, um, and, and then he wouldn't take me home. And I said, if you're, if you're not going to take me home, I'm going to just jump out of the car because I want to go home. And um, he started driving faster. So I'd really get hurt if I jumped out of the car. So, you know, I look back and I thought, boy, I mean, that was just a miracle that night that I found this and that I took to it. And, um, and I treasure the gift that I've been given. And um, every day, or hopefully every day, I try to. I get up in the morning and I thank God, you know, for my sobriety that I'll have that day. And when I go to sleep at night, I thank God for the sobriety that I did have that day. I have friends along the way who have taken a drink of alcohol after 5, 10, 15, 
20, 25, and 30 years of sobriety. So I know that I have a gift, and I know that it's a treasure, and I know that I have to do everything that I can in my power to take care of this gift that I've been given. I don't want to drink again, and I see people drink again. I can't imagine trying to come back after having a period of sobriety and then trying to come back again. So um, I do everything today, still to this day, that I was taught to do in the beginning. And it's very simple. It hasn't really changed. And, um, and, and I can't get in there and complicate it. I show up at my meetings. I work with other people. I talk to, I call my sponsor on a regular basis. I'm accountable. Um, I've come to believe in a power greater than myself, um, who, for me, I choose to call God. Um, Every day I ask God how I can be of service um, to God and to others. And um, along the way, I, I kind of, I just make up prayers along the way for myself pertaining to whatever I feel I need to work on. And, and um, I've started saying every day, God, please help me to love as you love and to treat people as you would treat them if you were here to speak to them as you would speak to them. Because I find that I have a critical mind and a judgmental mind, and I don't like that, and I don't want to have that anymore. So I, I kind of made up that prayer that I say every day. And so, you know, immediately, though, I have, I have this critical and this judgmental and looking, you know, and I don't know, I don't know why I have that, but... Immediately I hear that and I go into my prayer or I just say God bless that person and I try I want to feel love in my heart and I I have um, you know I have so many people in my life that I care about um, that um, my family really is Alcoholics Anonymous I really believe and feel in my heart that my Alcoholics Anonymous family is is more important than um, my my birth family. Um, all of my brothers, though, um, do not drink anymore. My sister was the last one to quit drinking. I didn't know that my sister had a drinking problem. I'm glad she did. I'm glad she had her trouble and her suffering so that she could come here. She used to call me years ago before um, I knew she had a drinking problem. And she would talk to me about her living problems and her fears and her insecurities. And I would offer her solutions that I had learned here in Alcoholics Anonymous. But she didn't really have to take the actions that I felt that I had to take here. In order. I have to keep moving forward. I have to keep trying to get better. I have to keep trying to improve myself. I have to keep cleaning house and getting rid of resentments. And and But my sister didn't have to do that. So... You know, I would just tell her the same thing, and, and um, she would call me from time to time and just talk to me about her fears. And she couldn't graduate from college because she was afraid of walking in front of a lot of people and, you know, that kind of thing. And now she had started going to group therapy, and I, I believe she started going for a couple of reasons. She didn't like her job, and she wanted to get married. So she had to go talk to these people about these things every week. Now, in the meantime, I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I've had a lot of husbands. Not a lot. I've had several husbands. I mean, we, you know, boy, once once I came in here, and I felt, you know, I, I really caught on fire with this thing, you know, I, my, I started getting rid of fears and I'm like, boy, I'm just going to go out there and do what I want to do. So 
I've had a couple. I, it's, I'm on number three. Um, and so it's so far so good. And, um, and you know, so my sister's going to group therapy and I'm getting married and, and, um, and I'm changing jobs and, you know, just really trying to live this life that I found now that I didn't live before because I was filled with fear. I couldn't do anything. I just watched everybody and made fun of everybody and I didn't do anything. And, um, so she's going to group therapy and I'm here now sober. So, um, but she, uh, I think she just celebrated eight years of sobriety. And um, I, she, we, I was living in, in uh, Minnesota and she was in California. One time, I, one morning I got up real early and I saw this email from my sister's boyfriend and, um, and it said, Kathleen is drinking round the clock and can't stop. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna have to ask her to leave. And I. I was just baffled because she had never talked to me about a drinking problem. See, she didn't want to be an alcoholic. So I, um, you know, I called her boyfriend and he said, well, I don't think she'll talk to you, but, um, you know, she gets up early in the morning and tries to get some work done. She had a sales job and um, she tried to, was trying to fake it and act like she was going to work. and. So I, I called in the morning and nobody answered the phone and I'm like, oh great, she killed him, you know, because he told me. <laughs> um, she didn't want, I did talk to him. He said she doesn't want to talk to you. She's really mad at me for telling you. Well, I just sat back and I asked God to guide me and direct me because I tried um, to force this down people's throats. I tried to spoon feed this program to people along the way. When I was brand new, I met a man in the group I went to who couldn't seem to stay sober, and I brought him home to live with myself and my husband and my three kids. I'm like, came home from a meeting, I'm like, I'm to my husband, honey, look, I brought this man home. He's gonna live with us now. And um, I'm serious because I thought maybe if this poor lonely man could just be a part of our family, you know, he'd get better. And um, I used to bring people home quite often. I brought a lady home one time and um, every morning I read her the big book and I played tapes for her and I fed her and I took care of her and she did great until she couldn't live with me anymore. And then, you know, she went out and drank again. But anyway, um, so with my sister, I, you know, I had really tried hard to um, give this to people and if they weren't ready, they weren't ready. So uh, I asked God to help me and guide me and direct me and I was able to just sit back and wait and just, and, and, and to, to be inspired to know what to do for her. And maybe a week later or so, I felt like I needed to write her a letter. And it wasn't really to my sister. It was just to from one alcoholic to another alcoholic because that's how we speak to each other. And that's the identification and, that we get. And so I sat down and I was able to write her a letter. And I said, I know how you feel. And I described to her how she felt inside and her hopelessness. and. And, um, you know, the fear about and, and thinking that you can't quit drinking. And I wrote her the letter. 
And I um, work for an airline, and I put two airplane tickets or an airplane ticket in there for her, and I just said, if you could get here. You see, I know I can't go chasing after people either. So I knew that, I mean, I, at, in the very beginning, I just wanted to run out there and put my arms around her and save her. So I wrote her this letter, and... Um, and, and I put the airplane ticket in and I said, if you could come here, you know, I'm, I could help you. And I have a lot of friends here who could help you too. And um, I overnighted it so I knew it would get there right around 12 o'clock. And um, I was waiting and right, I mean, just a little bit after 12 when she had time to open it and to read it, I got a phone call and she was just blubbering. And inside I was so happy, like, good, she's crying really hard. And, um, you know, she surrendered and she did. And she took step one and she talked to me then about her drinking and so, um, I, uh, she didn't want to, she was terrified to fly, and so, um, you know, I said, well, let's make plans to meet, and I can go out to Los Angeles, and if you could get down there. See, I still knew I couldn't go running after her, and um, so we made a plan, and she came and met me, and um, she got, she took a train and a bus, and um, she got off the bus, and she'd been drinking. She fell off the bus, actually, and then she was kind of directing the bus driver and helping him, and... Um, <laughs> And um, that was okay, and um, we, we went to an AA meeting that night. She had a couple bottles of wine in her purse, and she asked if she could drink those, and I said, go ahead, finish them off. And um, we went to a meeting that night, and at the meetings there, they, a lot of the meetings they say, are there any newcomers, please stand up. And she stood up, and she said her name, my name is Kathleen, and I'm an alcoholic. And she just started crying, and I started crying, and that was her surrender. And she has not had a drink since that time. And all those years she went to group therapy, you know, for the job and the, and the husband. She married that guy right away after she was sober a little while. He was her longtime boyfriend she just wanted to be married and um, before we I spent three days with her in Los Angeles I'm um, taking her to meetings and and um, before the three days were over we had quit her job you know I just made her quit her job and she's like what if this and what if that and I said God will take care of you and maybe in the beginning we don't really know what that means or we don't really believe that but I just said trust me if for any of you who have a hard time believing, you know, if you um, if you don't believe in God or you can't feel it yet, just trust in the people around you. Just look around you at all of the miracles and hang on to them and hang on to your sponsor and hang on to your home group and hang on to your friends. And um, I was raised Catholic. So, um, you know, supposedly, you know, God, I'm like, guy, I have it. And, um, but... It, it, uh, I actually went to Catholic school for 10 years until I got pregnant and I had to leave. And um, <clears throat> they didn't, way back then in the old days, they didn't make maternity uniforms, you know, with the little room for my stomach growing. And, um, you know, I just mentioned that... Um, that had to do with my being an alcoholic, I believe, but I wasn't drunk when that happened. It was because of the way that I was my whole life until I came here. 
And even after I came here, you know, I needed time here to get better, and I'm still getting better. But my whole life, I was just looking for somebody to love me. I was looking for somebody to pay attention to me. I wanted to please everybody in the world. I did anything that you wanted me to do. It didn't really matter. If you noticed me and um, paid attention to me, I didn't want to make anybody mad. I didn't want to upset anybody. Now, I didn't know all this. I did not know I was living my life like that until I came here and woke up and started started doing the steps and and um, started learning, you know, um, the things that we learn by working the steps. Um, so I got pregnant because um, a bum, a transient guy, dared me to sneak out of my house in the middle of the night. When I was 15 years old, um, he was a, I, I used to love to ride horses, and he was a horseshoer, and he lived in a little shack. And I really liked, you know, I do not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it, which is one of the promises. I don't regret a thing that happened in my life. And um, I've learned from everything, and I've grown, and I've become stronger, and I've become a better person because of all that, so I don't regret any of it. But I like to look back on that poor little pathetic 15-year-old girl that had to do that. I'm so glad that I don't have to live my life like that anymore. I'm so glad that I don't have to do everything that you all want me to do so that you'll like me. And, um, you know, and it was it's not a good way to start out your life. It's the very first time I ever had sex, like, oops. And... Um, <laughs> But anyway, I, you know, I went to Catholic school, and so I had all these catechism classes and learned about God and this and that. And, um, you know, I don't know what good this does me. I can't see it anyway. But, okay, we're good. And, um, but it took me a long time here, I believe, to find my own concept of God, a higher power. I honestly think I was around four years sober. Not that I didn't pray and I didn't try, because I'm always going to try. And I'm going to, you know, do what people ahead of me suggest that I do so that I can get better. But I was about four years sober, and um, I had gotten divorced for the first time, and I had these three little boys, and I hadn't been educated, and I felt very sorry for myself, and I never had any money. And um, you know what always saved me, though? I always went to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I went a lot. I went, you know, nearly every day for quite some time. It was the safest place that I could be. And I always felt better when I attended a meeting. And I had some relief from myself for a little while while I was at that meeting. But... Um, I was about four years sober, and I and I thought this is not the way I, my life was supposed to be. I'm divorced, and and um, you know it was. Uh, uh, I relationships are difficult. You know I don't even I use that term loosely. Relationships. You know it's not quite what I had, but I called them relationships, and. Um, you know, I, 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 I like just about anybody who showed an interest in me, and then my heart would get broken, and I, had, I didn't have any strength inside, and so I'd want to commit suicide. I mean, I, it just devastated me. And um, it was one of those times in my life, and, and um, I was feeling this, this horrible emotional pain that I don't think I had ever felt before. And um, I was trying to pray. I'd be down on my, on my knees praying, and I thought, what am I praying to, a bedspread? I don't get it. I just don't get this at all. 
and I and I would pray, God, please, please, I'm hurting so much. Please take it away. And you know, and I didn't take a drink, and I went to a meeting every day, and I'd try to, I'd go to work, and I couldn't stop crying most of the time. And um, I was working in a dental office, and I'd open the window to greet the patient, and I'd just start crying, and. And you know, it, this seemed to go on for months and I would, um, I'd sit inside of a closet in my house and I would rock back and forth and hold myself together. And um, you know, and I tried and I'd pray and I'd ask God to help me and take away this pain. And I do pray differently now. I pray in a positive way rather than that way that I used to pray. But you know, we do the best we can at the time. And um, you know, one day after about four months, I realized that I was feeling better. And I realized that I was feeling different than I had ever felt in my entire life. I had some inner strength that I had never, ever had before because I believe for the first time I actually let God in and I felt the presence of God inside me. I felt the, I felt a power greater than myself and I think it was the first time I truly felt just safe and somebody's watching over me and um, it's not going to be so hard anymore because there is somebody always watching over you. See, I, ca I can't go through emotional pain on my own. I can't go through difficult times. And so I realized after that four months of just, you know, just hurting all the time, that's, you know, that I didn't get a boyfriend, I didn't get any money, I didn't get a new car, nothing happened except that I felt different. And that's when I realized, I said to myself, for the very first time, there is a God who's watching over me because I couldn't make it through a difficult time by myself. I couldn't have done that without taking a drink. And so there is a God. And from that time on, you know, my life really got easier and easier. I never had difficult times like that because I knew there was somebody taking care of me. And um, gosh, I, um, my, I, my life is just, um, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I, I, it's 100% um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I said, you know, the, the gifts that I've been given are working with other people, I believe. That's kind of been my thing. I didn't set out for it to be that way. I just turned my life and my will over to God. And, and that's what's happened. And, um, you know, it's the little things in life now that mean a lot to me. And I'm just thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I, I did go to Catholic school for a long time, and I was this, the nuns that taught me seemed so mean. And um, so one day I, I was, somebody told me that um, there was a nun, a Catholic nun who was an alcoholic, and that this person said, I gave her your phone number. And to call you, well, I was kind of terrified, actually, because I still had that fear of these nuns. And um, so uh, I got a phone call one day from Sheila, and, um, and I made arrangements to go and pick her up at the convent. And then I found out she was the principal. And then another nun wanted to come with in the car with us. And I was sober a little while, but I had a hard time acting normal. And um, <laughs> And I took them to meetings, and I actually became the, sp the sponsor for both of those, um, Sheila and Mary. And, um, you know, one of the things that, one of the greatest gifts that I was given, I believe, is when um, Sheila did her fifth step with me. She had written out a very good fourth step. And I went over to the convent, 
And we sat for a few hours and she read this to me. And um, we sat and we cried together when she, there were certain things that she read to me. And we cried together and I thought later, what an amazing thing happened. She's a Catholic nun. She can go to any priest. She goes to confession. She's had all this religious training and she was finally able to lighten her load with another member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she had never been able to do that before. And that's what we can do for each other. But what a gift that I was given um, by being able um, you know, to be the one. I'm, I say, thank you, God. I used to want big, grandiose, huge things. I wanted to see my name up in lights and be famous and have everybody notice me. And now I, I've learned to appreciate things like that that happen in my life. Um, you know, I said before, you know, I think once I realized that I didn't do so many things in my life because of fear, I, you know, I really wanted to get out there and live. Well, right in the beginning, I wanted to go to college, and I wanted, you know, and I tried. I kept signing up for classes, and but then I was divorced, and I had these three little boys, and I had to go to work. And I, um, I was told in the beginning something very important, and that was to put Alcoholics Anonymous first in my life. And I, and I did that. And um, maybe it was because of the desperation I had, but I, I, uh, and I learned from other people I watched coming in and out of these doors and drinking again. And so I put Alcoholics Anonymous first, and I would always give up the school, and then I would go to meetings. And I really believe I benefited way more in my life by doing that and putting this first. I've had a completely full life. I've been able to do everything that I wanted to do. I never finished any classes. I, I had to get all those papers reached for something, and I looked, I'm like, what the heck was I doing? I mean... I signed up for so many things and never completed them, but because I couldn't fit everything in and I needed to come here. And this has been my education. I've learned everything I need to do. I got something here that I couldn't get in school, I don't think, for me anyway, and I, you know, I started getting a little bit of confidence here. And, and, the, and the fear was going away, so I can go out in, in the world and try new things and not be afraid that I'm not gonna be able to do it. You know, I never wanted to do anything unless I could do it real good. And I wanted to be able to do it really good right away. I didn't want to look foolish ever. And um, so um, I've had a lot of different careers and, um, you know, and um, just because of being here and because, um, you know, I never wanted to get up to the podium and talk. I said that in the beginning and I would hide. And, and then, you know, they they make us get up and speak pretty early on and and um, and I would tell people I don't want to do that I can't do that that's uh, no and they'd say that's not an option you have to get up there and I used to come up and I'd, I'd just be like this and I'd have to hold on to everything and you know but I just I did it anyway I've learned to walk through these fears because I watch you walk through them too and um, so I've had a lot of fun along the way and um Oh, my husband, the now, the husband I have now, who's probably going <laughs> to be around. Um, one time he dared, he said, what would you do if you could do anything in the world? And I said, um, oh, I'd do comedy. And I don't know why I said that. But then he said, well, then I dare you to go do it. And um, 
I had I have to do what I'm dared to do, unfortunately. And um, I signed up for this comedy class, and in the very beginning, the teacher said, um, "Well, um, you can base comedy. The best comedy comes from your own life." So. Um, she made us go in front of everybody and, and say what was our life. And I said, well, um, <laughs> I used to drink and I don't drink anymore and I've been married a few times. That was the best I could do. So we wrote all the jokes about my drinking and um, about, you know, that like I, I have twin boys and they're identical and it would be like, um, you know, I didn't even know I had, I had identical twin boys for about three or four years. And, um, you know, and so we made up all the jokes out of, out of my drinking. And um, so it's, it's really been fun to try new things like that. I became a flight attendant just because a woman I sponsored stopped by my house on the way to an interview to become a flight attendant. And I wasn't doing much of anything. And... Um, so I was telling her, that sounds like a great idea, you know, you travel here and there and do, and I'm like, yeah, I said, that does sound like a good idea, could I go along too? And um, thank goodness we both got hired, and I don't know why I got hired, because one of the questions they ask, and most of the people in this room probably won't even know who this person is, but they said, um, if you could be anybody in the world, who would you be? And I said, Jonathan Winters. And um, he's like this old comedian, a man. And um, so I don't know why I got hired. But anyway, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just been fun. And that's kind of like, that's how I'm able to live my life now. And I'm not in charge. And I really don't have to think about too many things anymore. I turn my life and my will over to God in the morning when I get up. I ask how I can be of service. I don't have to try to figure out what God's will is anymore. I can't figure it out. If I try to figure it out, I can guarantee you it'll be my will. So I just don't try to figure it out. I just get up and go on about my day and do my do my life. And um, I was talking with someone before the meeting, and I have bouts every now and then something. If, if I'm not really on guard, you know, my defenses will be down, and then I'll start thinking about my life, and what have I made of myself, and what could I have made of myself, and I'm getting older, and oh, woe is me, and this and that. And, um, and one night, you know, I guess it's been like six years or so ago, I was doing that. Um, I was alone. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was, uh, you know, just it got a hold of me. And I, I screamed out, and I said, God, help me. God, help me. Please help me. And, and I went back on my computer, and I had, I, had just, I had just gone off a little while before, and I had this email from this person I didn't know, except it was from God now, but it didn't say God. It said Paul. But um, it was 2 in the morning, and I saw this brand-new email, and I started. This was right after I said, God, please help me, and it was right after I was thinking, what, if, what about my life, and what has it become, and what could have I, I, I could have been, and all this stuff, and where's all my money, and all the, you know, this kind of stuff. And so it was from this man named Paul, and um, he said, you don't know me, but um, now this was like July, and um, he said in May, you were up here um, at our group speaking at the anniversary, and I was sitting there, and I, I didn't meet you, but I intended to go to a mental hospital the next day. I had no hope, 
at all, and I came there because I was chasing a girl, and um, I listened to you talk, and I haven't had a drink since that time. And um, he got my email from one of the girls I sponsor in that area, and you know what? Immediately I got it, and that's my, my purpose, and that's our purpose. Um, I believe that's what God wants is just for me to, you know, look out for other people, try to help other people. It helps me. I benefit from it. But um, that's my purpose. You know, there's no other purpose. Um, that's what has given me a solid foundation in my life most of the time um, is just to show up, um, look around. Uh, the room for new people and I used to get more calls 12-step calls and probably it's the same here now, um, before than we do now but I um, I can I can find people you know I can I don't know about you but I and some of the people in my group we kind of run into the meeting and we huddle together and talk to each other and there are new people in the room and I know it and I sometimes test myself just by going to a different meeting that I've never been to before just to, so I can remember how scary it feels to walk in the door and I don't know anybody even though I've been sober a long time and, and if nobody talks to me, I go look at the literature and read the literature and I pretend I'm very interested in it because I feel so uncomfortable. So I go do that so that I can remember how it feels. And I, you know, make myself walk around the room. If I see somebody I don't know, I go talk to them. I don't know who they are. And... Um, so I believe that we've really been given this wonderful gift, not just have, being free from alcohol, but, but being given a new way to live and, um, and being given a gift that gives us this sense of purpose and well-being in our lives. You know, a lot of people are searching for that, and we have it right here. Um, I do love Alcoholics Anonymous very much, and I feel very grateful that... Um, that, that I'm sober and so grateful that I was able to come here. This has just been an absolute um, highlight in my life that I could come here. Um, uh, so I thank you, all of you. You've just been so wonderful and so nice. I love your city. I love walking around. And I so look forward to meeting all of you and um, attending the rest of the meetings this weekend. Thank you. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.